It's uh, one of those deals where I just suddenly, without really announcing it, I'll go like this. Sunday episode of Cannabis Legalization News. Joining us today is Sean. Is it pronounced Sean? No, it's pronounced Shay Woon. Shay Shay Woon. Woon. I yeah. will uh, probably butcher that. <laughs> it's got that Asian tone to it. Where like it's kind of funny because my son uh, he used to do uh, 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 he would fight and his uh, instructor would call him Sifu. Uh huh. So it just seems like you having that MMA background and that name is pretty badass. No, thank you. I appreciate that. All I right, really do. Uh, you have an MMA background. You're not just a cannabis dispenser. Yeah, no, um, I did MMA for the promotion side of it, right? So I, I used to wrestle uh, back in Illinois. Uh, I wrestled. I was really great. I went to state for wrestling. Um, wrestling has always been in my blood, is in my DNA, and I excelled at it. So I wanted to do something where um, when I opened my first shop in Eugene, Oregon, it was in the worst location you could ever think of it, right? So you There's wanted a to- bad location in Eugene, Oregon? Terrible location, terrible because location. Why was it so bad? Um, it was it was hidden. It was not in the street front. It was really hidden. And um, to get customer to really pay attention or to see us where the market is oversaturated and there was store at every corner, we have to find a differentiator, like what made us different. And we have to find a community and a following, a cult following. And since I was, um, you know, uh, a wrestler, I thought MMA would be fun to do and just get into octagon. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I put, you know, elevate on my back and uh, we went in there and, you know, I, I did pretty you good. You had the brand. You had the brand. Yeah, I had the brand. And yeah. then you're like, all right, I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. put, the, put the brand on the back of me. And how did that work? It, it went well. Like, I was six and three. So I won six fights and I lost three fights. Uh, some of them was by decision. Um, and, you know, one time I got super cocky because I was on a women's street. And um, and I tell people never get cocky because, uh, you know, it never ends well. But at the end of the day, it was fun. I, I love it. it. It gave me the opportunity to build a, a, a brotherhood. And uh, it was a fun time. I was going to ask you, too, about coming out from out of state because you're from Chicago area. Yeah. And, then, and to, to get to Northwest, I, I keep telling Tom, they got this weird culture out here it's like a you know a petri dish of its own little cannabis culture and uh uh, that's a great way to get involved into that at least be embedded into that culture you know with the mma type stuff yeah it's super big out here it was super big so i I love that the people are are huge fanatics out here they've got some really stone cold killers i was shocked even spokane washington you have some of the grace that came out mike chiesa sam cecilia the first woman um uh ultimate fighter to win uh juliana pena so she came out of spokane washington you'd be like what washington uh but they they yeah so they they got some amazing people uh coming out they definitely need cannabis then out there after they've gotten their asses kicked (laughs) they sure do they do they they uh you know a lot of them use hemp product you know for recovery uh so it's it's really great uh they're they're part of the cannabis culture um and it's fun to watch that's awesome so how old were you when you started your first cannabis dispensary i officially opened at the age of 23 um i started at the age of 21 it was a process going through the regulations reading everything especially when you don't have enough capital 
um, and you're you're you actually you're underfunded. Uh, so I tell people, you know, I was the COE, um, and uh, what that means is chief of everything. Yeah. Um, and I did legitly everything. I was my lawyer, my CEO, CFO, C, uh, whatever you want to call it. I was it. It was hard, uh, but I was I, I was passionate. I had a lot of hustle. I was determined, and I didn't know how to take no for an answer. So then, uh, all right, how did you pick Oregon then? If you are a budding cannabis entrepreneur, extremely motivated, not very well capitalized, why Oregon? Uh, I saw or a huge opportunity in Oregon because they removed the um, out-of-state uh, requirements. So mm. you, you could be an out-of-state resident. You come into Oregon, you can open your dispensary. And at the time, uh, they allowed each city to determine how many uh, retail shops they were going to allow. So they really didn't have a cap. The um, what, what it was was they had a, a thousand square footage from a K-212 grade, a thousand square footage from, you know, one dispensary to another. So if you could really meet those criteria, you would have an opportunity to open your cannabis business. Is Oregon like a far cry from Illinois where they only have the 75 licenses and the 4,000 applications. Uh, is Oregon vertically yeah. integrated? Yeah, you, you, you could be vertically integrated or you could just be a standalone retail store. It just all depends on your business model. Um, if you look at Washington, Washington is a little different. You're, you can't be uh, fully uh, vertical. You have to strictly pick what side of the aisle you want to walk on, whether you want to be a cultivator. That's all you can do. If you want to be a retailer, that's all you can do. And you chose to be a store. That's that's pretty cool, though. I mean, that's a great. I think uh, I was telling Tom because uh, he wants to get his hands a wash. I was like, the the low overhead is going to be a store opposed to being a grow. I think. Um, you know, overhead. Uh, you know, for for retail or cultivation, it you know it depends on what state you go into. Um, I think that cultivation, if you have a lot of experience. Uh, you can do it for for the low. Uh, it's, it comes down to experience, right? Um, it's like me trying to do what you're doing, Tom. If I started this right now, you you will kick me back and forth because you just know the logistic. You understand how things work. You know what your target audience is. So um, it just kind of all depends. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But your passion and your stick to itiveness, and then your motivation. But how much capital did you open this store for? Um, I only had 50,000 and a dream. Um, it wow. was legitly, uh, I slept in my shop for a whole year. I, I hammered everything in. I installed the cameras. Um, I uh, went to buy the safe. I did the, the floor. I, I got two of my buddies and we drove to Oregon. And I was like, this is what I need. This is what we're going to do. One of them was actually a police officer at the time. So here it was, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was head of security. So it, it was a fun process. And, uh, you know, it, it, we got it done. Um, but once I got everything done, the second hurdle was how do you secure product um, in a market where you had your under uh, capitalized? Uh, so, you know, uh, at the age of 13, I got arrested for marijuana possession, um, you know, in Illinois. So what we did in the street was spot me the product. So in, in the corporate world, are you? Right, consignment, you know. So you know, I started, I, I started emailing everyone. I said, "Hey guys, you know, blah blah blah. I love your brand. We'd love to have you at the shop." 
boom, 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 you know, really cultivate those real uh, relationships. I remember when my first, my shop opened up, we legitly only had like 12 flowers. I still have the picture. And you had display cases that were super empty. And I knew if I did not open up, we were going to go out of business because I ran out of money. Ran out of and I was like, hours. what? Yeah. I was like, we got to open today. No ifs and buts about it. So we got it done and you know, marked up the product. And uh, we were able to, um, you know, I slept in my shop. I worked from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. every single day. It took a lot. I think they yanked I, their license in Illinois. It was like, well, what, what do you mean you're sleeping in the place? <laughs> yeah. No. So they would have did the same thing in Oregon, but we divided it up to mm -hmm. whereby there was a living arrangement. So in the back, it was actually used to be a house. So it worked out perfectly for me. Well, that's that's very fortunate. And then uh, you mentioned this MMA uh, uh, marketing that you did. Did you like have MMA events or nights or anything, or did it, was the only sponsorship on your on your um, your regalia when you go to the fight? No, it was different companies that gave me money, um, and I put my company too on there as the biggest brand that was on my shorts or t-shirts or different things like that. How long did it take you after your storefront to become multi-storefront? Um, it took us less a year and a half. How about profitable? Um, you know, within the first six months, I was profitable because I was the only one working. You know, um, you know, then you know, later on, of course, I started hiring people, but yeah, it, it was, you know, if, if I did it all by myself and I continued to do that, I, I would have been okay. So you went from uh, Oregon to Massachusetts? That's correct. Nice. What brings you there? Um, I started, you know, like I said, Oregon is an oversaturated market. They um, uplifted or removed the thousand square footage buffer from one dispensary to another. So what you started seeing was dispensaries were opening up right next to each other, right? So profit margins started decreasing. So you start thinking to yourself, is this sustainable in five years? Uh, we can make enough to survive, but is that what I set out to do just to survive? Uh, so I started looking at myself. I had the option to continue to open shops in Oregon. Um, I, it made no sense. People were doing it. I don't know what their business model was. It was idiotic to me. Um, you had people that was going to Cali. Um, I thought to me was uh, Cali was going to be oversaturated market. 80% of illegal products were coming from Cali. It made no sense. You had like big name people like Snoop Dogg. You had some of the best, you know, rappers that stay in Cali and they're cultivating a brand and they already have a cult following. So what kind of market share were you truly going to get in, in a state like Cali? Um, mm -hmm. and, and the license process is very confusing. You had each municipality that had their own specific way of acquiring a license. Oakland had a process. Los Angeles had a process. San Francisco had a process. So it was, it was just, it was a cluster, uh, you know, for me. Um, so I looked at Massachusetts. I love Massachusetts because it was highly regulated, highly regulated. And when you see a state that's highly regulated, that's the state that's highly profitable. Um, so I took all my, um, you know, I took all my capital, uh, I went to Massachusetts. I read the laws. Um, I hired the number one attorney, cannabis attorney, Paul Feldman in um, in uh, Massachusetts. Um, I started doing property acquisition. I started lobbying. 
um, to go in and uh, lobbying the different municipalities we were looking to go into. Now, keep in mind, I this whole time we talked about Massachusetts, most people would have been like, I want to go to Boston. Mm-hmm. What I did was I don't have Boston money. I understood that because when you look at going into Boston, it costs you about 100000 to 200000 a month to lease out a property. I tell people that in Chicago, when the Chicago math came up for the Illinois dispensaries. And so you said that you applied for Illinois? I did. I did apply for Illinois. So we have seven applications in right now. Um, Two of them are solely owned by Elevate Cannabis. The others are owned by uh, different entities, social equity entities that we partner up with. Um, We have a licensing agreement with them where we help them with operation, marketing, branding. Um, You know, we see it as a win-win situation. I don't own equity in their company, but we take uh, gross uh, profit. You know, uh, we take some partial percentage of revenue. Uh, That's great. Uh, You you mentioned that you were a social equity applicant in the sense that you got arrested when you were 13. So, like, you didn't have to share the, the company as you expanded into Illinois, but uh, did you see the same type of thing where there's Chicago money and then there's the rest of the state on the border money, which is substantially lower? Yeah, that's exactly what I saw. You know, being on the border acquisition, property acquisition is a lot cheaper. A lot of people are not paying. Regulatory, I would say that the, the, is lobbying efforts are a lot cheaper. Right. Uh, to, to get in front of a mayor in a smaller town or community is a lot easier for you to obtain than you to go to a city like Chicago, where there's a lot of hurdles for you to jump through in order to get in touch. Or you just got to be well known or well connected right. um, in smaller communities. You know, the mayors are um, easily accessible, I would yeah. say. Um, um, and, um, so, you know, that's my strategy. It's like, you know, I'm, I know I'm, I can't afford Chicago. I'm not ashamed of it. Um, or I can't afford Boston and I'm looking, I'm thinking longevity, right? When you look at Washington, you look at Oregon, um, some of the most profitable stores are on the border. A small towns are 8,000 people, 10,000 people. In Oregon right now, the most profitable store, when people think of Oregon, they're like Portland. No, mm-hmm. it's not Portland. The most profitable store is on the border of about 5,000 people in population, um, Boise, Idaho, right there or in but Washington. I nobody ever from Idaho ever smoked weed. No, never, <laughs> never, never. Well, never. and then the Senate. Because I mean, like, yeah. read Mike Crapo's shit out of the Senate and like what he did to the Safe Banking Act, it makes me think that nobody in Idaho has ever seen weed. Yeah, no, nah, not at all. Never seen weed at all. Uh, but their people definitely come <laughs> and give us their tax uh, dollar money. So, we're yeah. not, you know, to me, I'm like, you know, for every state that's not getting it right. That's okay. I'm not Indiana, mad at you. Illinois. I'm sorry. Iowa. I mean, there's the. Kentucky, though, that's actually I got this thing set up. I'm going to go do a a bit about Kentucky's medical marijuana law that just came out. So, yeah, you know, stick around in a couple more years. We might help you open up in Kentucky, like a little little border of Tennessee somewhere. You know, I love it. Good good model era. I love it. Hey, soon. Oregon, man. I mean, being at your first dispensary uh, and that's where you went to. uh, Well, do you call it dispensary? What, What do you call your shops? Elevate Cannabis. 
Well, no, I mean, like some people, like uh, you know, we don't call them medical dispensaries no more because it's not medical; it's recreational. Uh, you know, pot shops or recreational stores, people like to call them. I like to call them pot shops, but uh, uh, after Oregon, because Oregon's kind of uh, everybody has this uh, idea of the Pacific Northwest about a bunch of hippies and this whole social justice warrior thing. And uh, uh, how was your um, like your beginnings out there, man? How did you in, in experience like Oregon? What was your perspective of that? You know, <laughs> black culture type. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm the only black owned dispensary in Eugene, Oregon. One, um, two, we had people destroying our signs. I paid a lot of money for it. They were, you know, but guess what? Like racism or just was like, that competition? It, it was, you know, we had competition leaving us bad reviews. But when you go and look at our reviews, people, you know, I had to call a dispensary owner because I the, we found out one of my friends, you know, like Google the name and found out this guy worked at a competitor right. and we're just leaving us bad reviews. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, you know, so. So, you know, part of it, whether it was racism, what they didn't scare me off, you know, like, you know, like I, I sat there and I was like, you destroy my sign. I'm a buy a new sign and we're going to continue to do business. And I think after being there for three years, they just got tired of us and it was like, damn, we can't chase them away. So we got to work with them, you know, so staying positive and, you know, overcoming, um, you know, some people lack of education. Right. Um, and just, you know you know, not stooping to their level. Uh, that's exactly what we did. So, but we faced some hardship, um, but I didn't let it detour my, uh, you know, I was determined and I, they, they were not going to stop me. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's so crucial when you're an entrepreneur, you, it's like, now I'm going, I'm doing this, going there, man. But yeah. uh, Panama purpose, wearing masks, bro. So you yeah. So we, we have, yeah, so we have uh, locations in Athol, Orange, and Williamstown. Our first location is going to be um, opening up in Athol. Our goal is before 420. We're just waiting on the, um, you know, uh, Cannabis Control Commission to do our final walkthrough. Once that is done, uh, we'll be good to open our doors. So do you already have uh, established relationships with uh, cultivators? Yeah, we, we have some, but we're looking to cultivate more. Awesome. How do they go? How do you go about sourcing product? Honestly, usually we just use in, in Oregon, you use like metrics or you look, there's a database where like the state shows you who's, um, you know, who's approved to sell product. Right. Or you have a lot of people reach out to you because Oregon is an oversaturated market. Now, when you go to Massachusetts, how do you source product where there's a shortage of product relationship? Right on. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I, I like how you've been speaking about how when you go to your different places and uh, you're, you're, you're uh, lobbying, um, you know, uh, I was listening to you, one of your earlier speeches, how you talked about Chicago's uh, culture and an alderman. You know, I didn't know what an alderman was until I saw that one movie of Chris Rock where he, uh, he was an alderman. Oh, and, really? Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't think anybody else has an alderman but you guys. I think alderman is it's Germanic for old man, right? Alderman, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I think it's a remnant of the Dutch, you know, because like city council, we got city councilmen down here in yeah. state Illinois, but in Chicago, for some reason, they got aldermen. But but like Sean, what what made you think about the political side first? When, part of your business, you go to the the councilmen, you're going to your local areas uh, yeah. representation. You know, you're not even like hard charging, like I'm doing this. First, you're negotiating, creating that relationship. What, what made you think of that? 
I think relationship is everything. You know, you're you're trying to go into their specific district. Um, you want to make sure that they know who you are. Um, I think buying, getting the people buy-in is very important. Getting your aldermen buy-in is very important. Getting them to support you is very important. Um, getting them to know, because at the end of the day, you know, I, I think most politicians, their goal is to get reelected and do good for their jurisdiction. That Absolutely. That's their goal. That's, you know, most of them, you know, like from, from what I've seen and um, that's their goal. So if you show them that you know what you're doing and, and you, you're you educated about the industry and what you're pursuing, um, I think a lot of them see the social injustice and they want to uplift those good um, actors, those good players, and they want to support them and help them. Uh, from my journey, um, I, I even talked about not being in Boston, but I want to just mention this. When um, I did have a location in Boston, um, I had a lease agreement in East Boston and everything was going well. But the owner of the property said his sister is a professor and she does not feel comfortable with having a cannabis business in their business, in their facility. Now, because of that, I could have sued him. I had the lease. Um, I had the, the uh, city councilor um, that supported us. We had everything um, on our side. But how it works is you have to get a host community agreement. What that means is uh, you got to get a host community agreement and non-opposition in Massachusetts. Um, and what that means is you have to get your landlord to support you. Man, so yeah. I could have sued him. And but imagine he came to every meeting. It's like, I don't want this in my building, blah, blah, blah. This is terrible. This effect. I would have lost Thanks. a lot of money. It, it would have sucked. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you got to be strategic. And um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, brought, I always uh, educate the, the teams about like, no, no, who's your community outreach? All right. Where do you want to be located? OK, who's the councilman? Who's the county boardman? Who's the zoning guy? But in Illinois, we don't need that type of actual agreement with the county that you need in Massachusetts. And I think that reflects the different type of life licensing structures. So in Massachusetts, it's more of a, a licensing structure that comes from the municipality and they're allowed to set the number of licenses, right? That's correct. Okay. Do they have any social equity aspects to the, uh, the Massachusetts process? Yeah, they, they do. So Massachusetts currently has... Um, 200 plus social equity applicants. They opened up the portal in 2018 in April. Um, during this process, um, you know, the people that got approved got approved. Um, and you have to meet three out of six criterias. Now, um, you know, the social equity, you know, like I tell people, everybody, you know, you can be social equity. Uh, it gives you the ability to be first in line, but you can't do nothing if you don't have capital to build out your company. Like, I don't care how much. But they're uh, going to say, but you did it with $50,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what people say sometimes. They're like, you did it. Like, I'm like, there's, there's a different type of, like, I struggled. I wish I didn't do it for that. Like, I struggled. Like, I would never, like, want someone to go through the same type of hardship that I went through. If you're going to educate somebody then and mentor them, uh, and they want to get into Chicago or, or Boston prices for opening their dispensary versus if they want to get into the collar counties, the, the more rural uh, edge counties of a state. How would you uh, advise them on like how much capital they need for those ventures? I, I would say get a mill. Get a million uh, dollars if you're looking into retail. If you're looking into cultivation, get a mill to 50 mil. 
um, for, for cultivation. Um, I, I was through 50. I like how there's <laughs> plenty of runway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I, I was, you know, in all honesty, unless you have experience in education within the industry, um, I think you could do it for a lot lower. Um, yeah. like for me, if you are willing to put in a lot of sweat equity and you're knowledgeable, um, I say knowledge is power, but if you don't have knowledge, there's going to be a lot of mistakes you're going to make before you get to the finish line. Yeah, That's why I so say many people uh, want in too, and they don't have this experience. They don't have that knowledge. So if, if you're trying to get into the industry and you don't have that experience, you don't have the knowledge, maybe you do have the million. What do you recommend? I said mentorship, partner up with somebody that has experience. I think a lot of people, I remember there was a scenario in Massachusetts um, I, um, you know, Boston Globe wrote about it in um, different publication, but, you know, there, there was this company giving out uh, loans to minority social equity applicants and different things like that. And um, we raised a million dollars. This company gave me a mill and how the company structures were. Um, I got, you know, a mill for 60 percent of my shelf space contract was for about three year period. Um, they, we use their technology in Oregon. They're a great company. And I remember the sale kind of like a, a metric or a biotrack THC. Uh, they, they, they own, um, Baker Blackbird and different technology companies like that. So, and, um, so we, 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 we raised the capital with them. They were super impressed by me. And I love the, the ex city counselor of uh, Boston. His name is Tita Jackson. He kind of facilitated this, but I knocked it out the park. Right now, we try to get more social equity applicants in on this, and um, you know, some of them felt like the 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 um, you know the the loan or the deal structure uh, was way too hefty for them. And keep in mind, in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. you get three licenses. Right, um, being a social equity applicant, you're the first to open. Uh, there's this company called Netta. They're in Brookline. They're the number one uh, revenue grossing dispensary in the whole United States. They make $300,000 a day. Every day they make $300,000, right? Then you look at that and we're telling social equity applicants, I'm like, hey, this is a good idea because even though if they own 9.9% of your company, um, the amount of you still have two other licenses that you can tap into after you make your money, they have experience. Let them fail. If they're going to fail, they have so much money that it's not failing. You take the knowledge and you take the experience. You're getting paid to learn. And, you know, I, I encourage other people, you know, to, to, to take the deal. But, you know, it became a big, big deal. Like, all oh, you know, they're they're uh, You know, it was it was bad. And and, and I. For me, I think that my struggle knowing how hard it is to raise capital mm -hmm. in a highly regulated industry uh, where no banks want to do business with you and you have an opportunity to get a million dollars, I say take it. I say take it. I don't think that you should uh, be in a where they take all your company, but take it in the, in the aspect of learn from it, like in the sense of get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. If you're open, you're generating revenue, you're able to go to your store and learn from it. You can really like set yourself apart because knowledge is power. So now when other states, there's 50 states in the United States, there's only 11 states with some type of recreational medical um, regulation right now. So there's more states they're going to open up down the road. That's right. If you get in right now, 
you have the opportunity opportunity really set yourself aside from everybody else are you yeah. looking at uh, oklahoma or any other states like that uh we're looking at everywhere honestly our goal is to uh go uh we're we're we're, we're looking to partner up with social equity applicants we're looking to license out we're looking to own outright uh we we want to be uh we we believe that um <laughs> we could be a real uh big player in this industry it's so very it's very new uh, knowledge is power, like I said, and uh, there, there, there's, you know, is a free for all right now. Why do you think there's so many uh, companies, uh, cannabis companies, multi-state cannabis companies out there right now uh, having trouble raising money and shutting down maybe? Yeah. So, you know, Canada about six months ago, uh, you know, if you would have asked me this six months ago, you know, Canada was putting a huge influx of capital into the U.S. market. Right. So after, you know, all these big corporations, they went out, bought licenses. Some companies have 50 licenses, 60 licenses. But then you dive into that. How many of them are actually active? How many of them are actually operational? Um, it's just a few of them, right? It's like, you know, you see companies with 50 licenses, but 12 are actually operational because the time process in order for you to change your license, change your ownership takes time. You know, for us, even as a small business operator, it's taken us about a year just to change our license. You know, we just did a license acquisition here in Oregon. It's taken us a year just to finalize that and reopen. It's not because we're not ready. It's because the state their process, their backlog, we, we, we have to consider that too. Then, you know, um, taking that into consideration, big MSOs right now, in order to get capital, because Canada is like, you know what, we're going to see what you guys are going to do with all this licenses you have. They're trying to see what big corporations are actually going to be profitable. Um, then you're going to see more investors dive in and, you know, more investment is going to come back into uh, the cannabis industry. But right now, everybody's just seeing who can be profitable. Uh, you see a lot of big MSOs. They're going to go out of business. You see a lot of bad actors um, that, you know, they felt like, you know, they're they were just on top of the world. Uh, but now, you know, they're crumbling. So I think the biggest thing for us is organization health. A lot of people focus on revenue and they forget about the organization health part. And I think that that's what we do really well. Do you think a lot of times too, these companies like the MedMen's, um, they kind of understand the consumer, but the same token, they, they miss the mark. You know, like right now, I'm really happy to have you on as our guest today. For one, it's a cannabis where we talk about activism, but also two, it's goddamn Black History Month. And, you know, I haven't <laughs> seen any any cannabis content about black activists in any of the goddamn social media, you know, high times, anybody. And it's yeah. really upsetting. Like right now I'm feeling better. I've been sick before, but uh, um, I'm working on my own content for black history month. And I hope they have it done before goddamn the end of the month, but yeah, an extra day this, this year. So you know, one <laughs> day in February. <laughs> I love it. But the point being is it seems to be for a social equity industry, they're missing the mark. Like this is Black Freaking History Month. The whole month of a racist law devoted. You know, we could highlight yeah, the Thirteenth Amendment. The little, you know, that whole oops that's there. It's like, well, you know, we we can't have slaves. But what if they're criminals? Okay, then we can have slaves. You know, the, the huge glaring yeah. hole in the uh, the whole freedom. The thing. whole Jim Crow thing. I just seems like everybody's missing the mark, and it just seems to be can be done more from the bigger players. Do you think? Um. 
You know, for, from the bigger player aspect, you know, we, when I was speaking to the NCIA, uh, we had a 50-man panel. We had big MSOs like uh, Cresco's, all the executive teams from different, like, acreage and different places like that. We have police chiefs. Um, and we were sitting down and we were talking about the illicit markets versus the unillicit market. We, everybody had different presentations, different viewpoints, and what we can do to get more uh, social equity people into the cannabis industry, right? Um, we have different state where they're they're making their best effort, uh, but um, you see Oakland, um, they they have a process where they give social equity a hundred thousand dollars and they help them with one year free rent. That's great. Um, now we're talking about a highly regulated industry uh, yeah. where it's not just about capital, it's not just about license. Now um, we got to look at how do we make sure these people succeed, right? So you got to look at the taxation within the cannabis industry. Most states are 3%, uh, you know, city tax. Uh, you got 17, 17% city uh, state tax. Um, and um, when you combine that with federal tax, employee tax, you could be from 50% all the way to 110% if you don't structure your business properly. So my biggest thing is, yes, all this conversation on social equity is great, I love it and I want us to continue to have it. But outside of that, what about the applicants, the social equity applicants that are currently in active right now with licenses? How are they being helped? Right. This like, you know, I, I don't believe because you're in a zip code, you should actually get a, a social equity uh, certification. I don't. Um, I think that you have to have a level of hustle to pursue being a social equity. I'm a social equity applicant. Um, and I do, I, I feel for everybody, but I don't think that the, the right people that need it, that are, that want it, they're passionate about the industry are not necessarily the one getting it. Yeah. And the people that are getting it are being taken advantage of by big corporation because one, they don't really want it. Sometimes I don't know their story or they're miseducated. So, you know, for me, it's like, I said it again, I don't believe because you're in a, a zip code, you should get that. Um, and I think that if uh, big corporations wanna help, is stop taking advantage of social equity applicants. I think that they should mentor social equity applicants because outside of money, guys, I don't care how much money somebody has, is what do you do with that money? You see people winning lottery, and they spend it and it's gone. It's lack of, it's, it's lack of um, you know, the, the education aspect of it. So yeah. um, I advocated in the NCIA board meeting um, that we just had this uh, about Thursday or Friday. I advocated for more mentorship. I advocated for mentorship where you don't take people businesses. You don't, you know, string arm them. You don't have backdoors agreement um, where you're going to take their entity with one small mistake uh, because if uh, because if they um, if the mentorship piece is missing. Right. Think about this. This is a highly regulated industry. The state comes in and does surprise visit. Right. Their business is going to go out of you know business if they find that it's not being compliant. You're, you're synced into metrics. A lot of times people don't know how to use metrics properly or they just click on buttons and it, it's sending the wrong signal. And I think my biggest fear social equity successful social equity right and um i i think the the biggest That's thing right we got to do is yeah 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that we education. just have another ancillary business opportunity. It's it's the ancillary business opportunity of here's how you run a cannabis business. And then so you take those, you get the certification. We give you a little uh, a PDF email. It's good for a year or so many months. So like uh, I just got one back from SEM Rush. They're they're an SEO provider that I use to have people find me on the Internet. But then um, it, if you don't know how to run those things per, uh, appropriately and properly or tax management strategy or cash flow management or yeah, you've been running your business rent free for a year and now that's going to start coming up. How well have you been taking care of your books and records or were you just taking the money as it came in? And it's going to be a surprise for you. How well do you get around IRC 280E? Like, so do you, does your company, does Elevate Cannabis have specific methods and SOPs to try to uh, bifurcate the trafficking expenses from the cost of goods sold? Absolutely. You know, just the classifications of our employees, right? So, um, you know, we have inter inventory managers, right? We we have uh, people that would sit in the back and roll pre-rolls for hours, right? Um, we have uh, people where we separate, like, let's say we have uh, one of our buildings is 2,000 square footage. Um, we only sell cannabis and like 500 square footage of it. And the rest is paraphernalia. Now we could write off the rest. We can't write off where we're selling cannabis. So little gems like that, a lot of people don't know that. Um, so it's like, what what can you, you know, like, you know, it, it, this took me a lot of years of making mistakes just to just split this out there and just say, this is this or being vertically integrated. A lot of reason why people are vertically integrated because they use some of those, you know, you can't write off your marketing expenses, right? Uh, different things like that is like, how do you, uh, you know, not avoid it, but what can you do? What, how, the knowledge that it takes to be like, okay, this is how I can keep majority of my money. This is how I'm going to lose it if I don't do this. Do you plan on uh, white labeling in Oregon or anywhere? Elevate canvas. I mean, honestly, that's a stoner's dream, right? To have your own uh, strain, your own brand out there. Yeah, you know, that's our goal. So we we have a, a partnership right now with a fully licensed uh, cultivator in uh, Massachusetts where we are going to be fully vertical. Uh, so they have their license. Uh, we're, it's going to be called Elevate Farms. Um, you know, it just uh, the, the cultivator names are just incredible. Um, so we, we're combining um, and, uh, you know, and, and we're working together, be vertically integrated. So outside of having three stores, we also have a cultivation facility in Mass uh, where we're looking to really expand and, and create a brand out there. How do they regulate uh, cultivation in Mass? You know, I don't know. Um, you know, the cultivation side of things is not my expertise. Um, they are that's why I, different. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little different. Um, the cultivation side is not my expertise, but I do uh, work uh, with my partner that is an expert at that, that can definitely answer that better than I would. Do you uh, participate in any inspections, you know, frolic up and down the aisles? Um, you know, I've not participated in the inspection in um, the cultivation side of things in the retail side of things. And yes, we have participated in the inspection. Um, we have to do it the first time we open our shop in Eugene, Oregon. Oh, wow. uh, looked at, we see what that process looked like. We also, uh, the state is very good at giving you the precise checklist uh, that you have to get done. Um, before they come down and inspect your building. So we do our own little uh, walkthrough to make sure everything is on point. Nice. How different are your SOPs than from Illinois to Massachusetts to Oregon? Do you have to maintain separate, uh, separate books, separate companies? 
Yeah, we do because, uh, you know, when per state, you have to create your own uh, new entities. Uh, so Oregon, for example, is Elevate Cannabis Inc. Oregon, right? Then we have Elevate Cannabis Inc. Massachusetts. Uh, so, you know, the books, um, you know, is all separated. Um, we're, we don't combine them at all. That meeting you were talking about with the NCIA that just happened recently, I know it was kind of controversial because uh, there was no cameras allowed because they were talking about the illicit market or traditional, what I like to call it. Yeah. Uh, the untaxed market, Mickey. The untaxed. Yeah. But, you know, and I understand the controversy because you're talking to cops about like, I can't, it just seems to me they're, they're constantly trying to wrap their heads around like, well, I don't understand how I can't arrest this guy for over an ounce or <laughs> below an ounce when it should yeah. just be something non- the scrim, right? At this point, they should just be like, hey, I smell weed. Not my problem. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we just got to keep educating. I think it's, it's yeah. just really educating the the, the cops, the uh, enforcement. Um, I think that what NCIA did was really great because you're bringing people uh, with questions. You're bringing them in a room with a lot of people with answers. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to figure out, like, how can we make sure that, you know, the police officers are educated? How can we partner up with them? And someone made a, huge, uh, a great suggestion. Right. So if you're looking to get in the cannabis industry, partner up with the police officers, let them walk your facility. You know, it's a partnership because if something goes wrong in your dispensary, you saw a dispensary get break into in Illinois not too long ago. It was a huge headline there. Right. Who are you going to call? You're going to call the cops. Um, to make so so for me it's like we gotta we gotta learn how to work together so um, education is power so their miss um, education about the legal cannabis industry the only way we could um, uh, redirect that is by educating them. I know Shalene Kyle oh. was in the audience too, and she gave up good reviews. So, so yeah, no, she was amazing. Shalene is is always amazing, huge advocate for social equity. Um, every time I see her talk about social equity, I'm just like. Yes, like I just shut up and stop talking. I'm a huge fan of her. She's amazing. So how do you think we uh, address the uh, untaxed cannabis market? I think, one, uh, we got to just uh, make it legal for the states. You, you, we, we can answer this, the, the question mm -hmm. in two ways, right? We have uh, states that are currently not legal. I think they need to go legal. That's one way. Um, a second way is the states that are legal, you have cities that are still banning them. So because the state goes legal, that don't mean the city is going to allow them. So I think that those cities need to yield to what the people want, what the voters want and, and get out their feelings and actually allow this so people are not being arrested for marijuana possession. I think that that right there is, is the way that we could really solve this problem. And, and, and interstate, um, you know, uh, being able to ship from Oregon to, uh, you know, Massachusetts, for example, um, and, and different things like that, I, I think it would drop the, the, the cost of price down um, to whereby people can now start competing with the black market. Well, think about if IRC 280E was gone, how much lower could you make the price of your flour without eating into your existing margin? Uh, I agree. Uh, greatly, greatly, um, greatly. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, that would be a big help. Um, you know, um, a lot more dispensary would be more profitable. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Fewer audits, you yeah. know, less people getting their licenses in trouble. And then not only that. I think that the black market will always have to sell at a discount to the regulated market because the regulated market is uh, or the taxed market, untaxed. When you're growing it untaxed, you're doing it secretly. 
and you're doing it without trying to get caught as opposed to when you're growing it pursuant to a license and you're trying to grow it to be the best. And so when you're trying to grow it to be the best, like the, I quit buying untaxed weed after I got my medical card because I became a huge snob. It, I just, it was worth the extra five, 10 bucks a, a, an eighth. And so like now when I'm looking at it, I'm like, yeah, you can sell high quality premium flour at a premium price over the black market. But what price, you know, where is it before you're going to have to just crowd them out? And, and we also got to look at safety, right? We have the cartridge crisis, you know, products are not being tested in the illicit market. We got to right. take that into consideration. You know, a lot Absolutely. of people, you know, are, are they don't know what they're smoking at times. And, you know, I, I know people that sell in the black market. You know, I, I think they, you know, some of them truly have some great product. Um, now, how do you translate, you know, from selling in the black market to the legal market, I think that the, the hardship for them is people is like, oh, because they sold illegally, they could operate and run a business. And I said, no, I pushed back on that. The reason why I say no is due to the fact that when they were selling or when I was, I had no tax, I had no overhead. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? There, it was a different ball game. Um, and, and, and people think it's a walk in the park to operate a business is not a walk in the park, uh, especially a highly regulated business. So I'm going to go back to mentorship. And outside of that, you know, talking about, you know, just, you know, the illicit market and also my comparison to being like, you know, a DECA dreamer, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is like I can compare both of them. Wait, you're a DACA dreamer? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a DECA dreamer. Wait, are a, you a, you're not a, an American citizen? Are you? No, I'm not an American citizen. I'm, Why are I'm you green. getting deported then? Because <laughs> no. So I got a green card. Right now, but I got a green card. Complicit in, in the violation of federal law. And so sometimes when immigrants want to get into the cannabis industry, I say, no, you shouldn't. Now I'm going to be like, I got to talk to Sayed and uh, we're going to get yeah. him on the line and see what he thinks. Because like, yes. uh, that's that's a legitimate thing. A lot of people that aren't from America want to get in and get into the industry. But it's I, I think it's a condition of the green card or anything like that. So like, if the Trump administration and he's not watching, we know, uh, it, it finds out, like, couldn't they uh, revoke your green card and deport you because you're you're committing a federal crime? Um. You know, from if I was a Decker uh, child, yes, they could they could have done that, right? Mm -hmm. So if I was still a Decker dreamer, I, I could have had that, you know, revoked, and I could have went to jail, right? So the comparison with being being a Decker and being in the cannabis industry, right, is the uncertainty, right? Right. So if for 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 a fact that if you look at Decker dreamers, imagine they go into a bar and they get into a bar fight. Most mm -hmm. um, citizens or green card holders. They're worried about getting arrested. And um, that's it. A DECA dreamer, they're worried about being deported to a state or country they've never been to. They can't speak the language. They don't have friends or family there. This is all they have as home. So now when you look at the cannabis industry, um, you're looking at a highly regulated industry where it is still federally illegal. So if you um, you know, like if the federal government wants to come down and, and close down your business, um, they could do that. All your livelihood, your investment, your hopes, your dreams are gone. And that's how Decker Childs feel right now. And um, and, and that that's the uh, comparison I can make between the cannabis industry and Decker. Being an immigrant, is there any extra hurdles that you had to go through for ownership when it comes to, you know, living the American dream? 
Um, I think my hunger is just more. It's just fierce. I, I grew up not having nothing. I grew up with nothing. So the the possibility of me failing, you know, like who's gonna care? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> like I never, I never had nothing. Yeah. So, so if I lose it all, it's not gonna be headlines. It's so like, you oh. have a fairly, fairly healthy <laughs> entitlement complex. It sounds like. Yeah. You know, yeah. I never, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. So you know, I grew up not having nothing. So. Yeah. You know, in, in my uh, that's why it, I could take the risk because I'm like, you know, I, I'd rather be a dreamer, right? And fail, then and then not go after my dreams, right? Why not? That's and right. The youngest uh, black uh, owner of a cannabis business, you know, by coastal. That's a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, accomplishment, man. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That that's really kind of you. That's kind of you. Uh, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, well, uh, it appears so my that my laptop is about to die, so I'm about yeah. to charge the technical difficulties. All right, well, to drop off, the link still works. You can just come back on. But that's that's really awesome that you were able to, through the determination and then some luck. I mean, like, do you think the $50,000 opportunity to get into uh, a cannabis dispensary ownership is still something that's available to the cannabis entrepreneur in 2020? Um, I would never say never, <laughs> but you're going to cry <laughs> or, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but you know, for it to be possible, um, it, I, I would say you, you probably had a lot of connections. You probably negotiated with your landlord that says, Hey, I don't want to pay any lease until, um, my store or, you know, I start generating revenue or, you know, I, I think anything is possible if you have enough hustle and you're well educated and, mm -hmm. and you have relationship, relationship is power. It's like you, me going to my friend and say, hey, Bob, I want to use your property for cannabis. Bob is like, OK, usually it's going to cost you 100,000, but I like you. We're good friends. Don't worry about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do now is get security. Can you buy security? Boom. You got to mm -hmm. get a safe. Can you get a safe? Boom. So your your costs are decreasing. Because there is, so I always tell people anything is possible, but um, it, it's like a one percent chance, mm. you know, um, for that to actually happen to have all those ducks in a row. Because now, you know, in twenty twenty, everybody's trying to get in big corporation more than ever. It's trying to take over. Uh, people are trying to create a brand, um, and and they trying to they're trying to go everywhere cannabis is legalized. So how long did it take you to come up with the brand Elevate Cannabis? Um, you know, I, I played around with it. I knew I wanted the name to be called Elevate. I just didn't know how the logo mm. was going to look. I think that's what um, what I struggled with. Um, and we just recently changed the logo about a month ago mm -hmm. um, or not not a month ago, a, a couple of. Yeah. So it's, it's been a couple of months now. So that's the new logo. Uh, Okay, boom. Yeah. It's on this side. Uh, so that's the new logo. We we revamped our website. We worked with a great uh, branding agency called Illustria to really help us define who we are. And um, just, yeah. Well, and the diversity of your staff is pretty amazing too, dude. Uh, the women yeah. and minorities. Absolutely. Absolutely. That that was my goal is like, you know, uh, I believe treat everyone like gold. And um, I think if you really want to get anything done right, my mom always said, get a woman on your team and you will succeed. <laughs> no, so they're hustlers like they're fierce. Like I, I in my company, I think I'm the nicest one. 
Like, it, like I really think, like, I, I look at my employees, I'm like, I'd rather not mess with her. You know, in my head, it's like, I, I really think I'm the nicest one. They're, the ladies do not play. They're, they are on point, and they're way more organized than I am. I, I give them all the praises. Uh, they make me look great, but they're, they're just hardworking people. So you went from uh, uh, one store, and then you said in a year before you went to the next one, and that's your fifty thousand dollars. And what what did you save up to to the next point? What was your next like? Oh, I got half a million saved up. Let's do this. No, I didn't even have enough money to go after my next shop. It was more about um, hustle, right? It's a knowledge. Now I tell people knowledge is power, right? So we had enough to get there to open and we did a partnership, you know, but the partnership didn't work out. So I had to buy the person out because our ethos did not match. And I didn't see myself moving forward with that type of partnership. So when I went there, I had the money, but then I didn't have enough because my partner was coming in with the rest. So I had essentially half of it. Right. Mm. Uh, so when we went there, you know, I did the property acquisition. I, I lobbied. I did everything myself. Then to do construction, to finalize everything, I, I brought a partner in. Uh, but I then realized that, you know, the way we want to do business and how we saw things were totally different. So I had to cut buy that them partner up. Do you have like a, a financier be able to like pay for a note or a promise? No. Just cash. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just it was just using a remainder of our capital. I just said, you know, I just bought him out. It, it was not worth the headache. Um, I, I negotiated a lot of deals and he was just, you know, people talk about, oh, I'm going to sue you. But do you know the process of suing somebody? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You're a lawyer, Tom. <laughs> but let me say this for everyone that goes around and say you want to sue somebody. It is a process, yeah. right? Years. So I, years. I know years, of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So. I would say I'm I'm a, a diplomat, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that that's who I am. Right. So um so I sat there and you know we negotiated some deals. Um and he uh you know went on a call and and just like you know I'm gonna sue you, your mom, this and this. And this person was like, okay, I'm gonna make sure you guys don't get open. I was like, look, I've been working on this for months, and you just come in here because you're angry or your ego. And you just try to crush everything I worked hard for. And, you know, and you saying you're going to sue him. That's a lot of money. And that's why I tell people when when I know you, you're a true business person, you just don't throw the word. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't throw that lightly. I, you know what I mean? So. Um, so, you know, that, the contracts that I make for my uh, my clients, there's no lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Tom. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, that that's what happened. But we, I needed money and uh, we, we were able to raise some capital from Tilt Holding. Uh, we signed a uh, million dollars with an option of two mil. Um, and uh, that's how I was able to raise more capital to finish my project in mass. Yeah, but you got to be so careful when you're going into business with these. And then the uh, with going into business with anybody, but then also when you're going into business in Illinois or any of these social equity market games, yeah. where they ask for this this co- combination of somebody who's got social equity who usually doesn't have the money, or, yeah. or the, somebody else who's got the experience who doesn't have the social equity. Uh, and so, yeah, it just happened. One of my teams blew up over the weekend. All of a sudden, the social equity guy was like, well, I want everything. I'm like, well, oh, OK, that's it's, you know, and then boom, they're gone. And uh, you're yeah. like, all right. All right. Uh, so you couldn't trust them. 
Yeah. Better that it happened now, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's like being in a marriage. I tell people, well, if you're going into we're buddies, I'm going to bring you on. Like, really vet people. Um, money change people. Right. Uh, partnership change people. Yeah. Like, get everything on paper. Get. I don't care what it is. I want you to define everybody's job. I want you to define, like, uh, de- define your marriage, then define your divorce. Because oh, yeah. what I do, like, yeah. I'm serious. No, no, what no, I no. do. You're, you're 100% accurate, but then 90% of people don't effing get this, man. And, like, uh, and, and I explain it to but everybody's special. You see, that's the thing. Everybody thinks they're special. They aren't really <laughs> special. And then most people don't want to have this. This is difficult because yeah. you're like, what do you mean this is going to fail? I yeah. don't have to think about it failing. It's not going to. Yeah, yeah, you do. You kind of actually have to think about that because what happens if it does and you have no plan, you know? Yeah. And, and I tell people, look, we can disagree. You can disagree with me, right? Yep. But guess what? If we in an agreement, what what's going to you know, what's going to happen is we signed this when we were in our same mind. So now that we're having miscommunication, we were both saying when we signed this agreement, so you're going to shut the, and we're going to use this agreement to tell us the direction we want to go. So that's what we're going to do. So I remember when I bought a property in Williamstown, um, Massachusetts, um, I, I didn't have enough capital for it. It was a worth a mill. But I negotiated to a quarter of a mil, right? We put a down payment. We had a, a PNS, um, you know, um, for about six months, right? The cannabis company started opening up, and they started looking at the revenue. Now people wanted to buy the uh, the property for more than a mil. So wow. the landlord, the owner of the property, calls me and was like, "Hey, Sean, um, you know, I, you know, my son wants the property now, you know, blah blah blah." And in my head, I was like, I really don't give a fuck who wants the property. Yeah. Uh, I, I just was like, look, I was like, you know, we, we have an agreement. Um, regardless of how you feel, you're trying to pull my heart string. Like, I, I really don't have that. I, I, it's just like, this is what we agreed on. This is the path we're going. If you're not going to, then I'm really going to sue you because I have everything right here to show that you signed this. I signed this. The prop you you have to give me six months to to pay you uh, what's due, and I paid him. Uh, but he was not happy with me. He was pissed. He was pissed. He, yeah, because they wanted to get rich. Damn it! Absolutely, yeah. they did. Yeah. They did. And, but that's that's what happens. And so, like I tell them, like, hey guys, and then the 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 contracts that I use to set up the the companies, they're sticky. It's like, no, no, guys, this this, this isn't no tag along, drag along bullshit. That's the deal. Yeah. And so, like, if you're going to be doing this and it'd be one thing, it's like, well, I want to create this brand and roll it up. And, like, you know, the license game where they're just always raising money and then they they declare bank. Well, they can't. They go into receivership because they run out of being able to raise money. Uh, yeah. But most of the people that are trying that I help to get into the industry, they want to do it like you're doing it where they're operating it for their business. And when they're operating it for their business, then you should really be, you know, OK, we let you in very, very carefully. We didn't expect you to get out. You know, we didn't we, we kind of planned around that very specifically saying, like, here's what it because with a lot of these, I mean, uh, I'm assuming even in Oregon, like if you're trying to buy in or sell out, the state has to approve whomever you sell a license to. Right. Yeah, they do. They right. do. They do. Yeah. yeah. And that's 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 one of the things where it's like you just can't 
this isn't like any other company that you can own. This isn't owning like Apple stock. You know, this is entirely different. And and that some people try to renegotiate the deal after the deal, or they just uh, those are the the clients that I don't take anymore. I'm like, no, yeah. that, that was the deal. You know, yeah. don't, don't come back. You know, five minutes later and be like, hey, we got a new deal. That wasn't agreed to. We didn't. We yeah. had no paper on that deal. Yeah. And 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 I tell people like I know it's simple, but read every agreement. I don't care if your lawyer reads it. Like yeah. uh, recently, I was I was given an agreement to uh, be a part of a cultivation team in Illinois, and part of what their agreement said was they're going to own future patent, current patent pending. They're going to own any intellectual property. They're going to own this, this, and this. My attorney didn't even read it. He would have just said, "Don't do business with them." Yeah. But I read their agreement before I even sent it to my attorney. And I called the person. I was like, I'm not sure if he thought I was stupid. I'm not sure if he knew who he was dealing with. But I, I was like, nah, you got to remove section 4.B because this is absolutely bullshit. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just, and, but some people are signing this. Yeah. And some people are really signing this and thinking it's okay. Well, then well, that care. company was really offering it and thinking that what they have is so freaking good, even though it's just, Cannabis. Everybody thinks they have the best genetics. Everybody thinks they have the best everything. And then yeah. it's just chutzpah and it's and it's pride. And it's them thinking that their brand is going to be the best one. And all this IP and, and the future patents, which they can't do because it's illegal and, and everything else like that, those usually don't matter. It's kind of like suing somebody. You've just basically said, I now have all these rights that if you want to protect those rights, you have to sue somebody to stop. Like you can just make the same different. I mean, you could call it something else. It could have the fairly similar genetics, you know, one small difference, whatever it is to get out of it. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's assuming that they could even get a plant patent, which they can't. And then they would have to sue you for infringement on it. But uh, that company's probably not going to be around in two years, let alone have an IP treasure trove. <laughs> mm. Well, I think what you're doing now, Shayun, as far as making the moves with the interviews and, and the education, I mean, right there, you're your own IP. I mean, you are the branding, you know, that's, that's how it works. Uh, Tom and I, we've been doing the cannabis conversations for over 10 years, just talking about goddamn legalizing it. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's lots of stranger danger out there. People know who we are. That's so right. They know just as much as you are. You, you offer more to the table is what I'm, my point being, though. Oh, I think he froze. You may have froze. You know, Good I hear time. Boston doesn't, well, uh, Massachusetts is not very well educated. Well, uh, not well educated, but like, you know, technologically savvy. They don't have like any wonderful universe. Oh, wait, no, he's smiling. I think he's, he's, he's yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. He was just I'm trying here. to make it seem like he froze. Yeah. No, I'm here. Say, where are you uh, talking from? I'm in Eugene, Oregon right now. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Eugene. I just flew in yesterday. I just came back from Boston. How is that flight? What's the coast to coast? About eight hours. It sucks. Eight hours, really? Like about yeah, about eight hours. It, it's terrible. It's like flying to to France. It, it sucks. Chicago. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it sucks. But you know, it's uh, it's part of the. I, I guess it's part of the hustle. Well, okay. you know, you're preaching to the choir here because, like, I go to Chicago all the time. I've really kind of stopped the past two weeks because it's just like. No, no, the teams need their applications done. So yeah, I, I don't have the time to like stop three hours later, four hours later, I'm in Chicago and then I have nothing to eat there. And so I have to go. I mean, it's just, 
it's too distracting. I mean, I'll start going back to and from after the applications are really, really taken care of. But yeah. the um, the hustle is going to be real next year, man. New York, Pennsylvania, yeah. looks like Kentucky's coming online. Missouri's got a lot of opportunity. You might want to check them out. They're going to be trying to put it on the ballot again this year. They want to be one of the fastest to go to full legalization. South Dakota is trying to like skip medical and go to full legalization. Uh, what's Alabama. the one near South Dakota next to Wisconsin? Minnesota looks okay. like they might uh, pop off and go uh, uh, the medical. Uh, I'm still waiting to see what Georgia's going to do about their huge, crazy vertical integrated uh, medical cannabis that they have. It looks a lot more like Florida's than anybody else's in the country, but it's it's, it's going to be a it's going to be exciting the next five it, years. I agree. I agree. And, and, and I think the, the, the true players are being determined right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think five years from now, we're, we're all sitting on this show. We're going to, we're, we're going to kind of look back on this like, Hey, remember when we did an interview in 2020, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I think, uh, yeah, this year is going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah, me too. I'm really excited about it. And I wanted to thank you for coming on the show and spending more than an hour to, Kind of yeah. uh, talk to us about your brand. Let me uh, add, and I haven't done this yet. That's that's my own problem. Uh, here, I'm going to put up your your website. So if we found it, it's at elev and then the number eight cannabis.com, right? Yep, elevatecannabis.com. So this is that new brand refresh that you did. Yes, yes, wow. that's correct. Hey, it looks great. Hey, uh, one question that I have about pre rolls because the differences of pre rolls it depends on what state you're in. So uh, in Illinois, you can't do pre-rolls at the dispensary. Is that different in all the other states that you're operating in? Yeah, that's, that's totally different. We can actually make in like, you know, when we have shakes, yep. we can turn those shakes into pre-rolls and sell it to the customers. You can't so we're have not shake in Illinois either because like this will be your pre-rolls. They're pre-packaged pre-rolls. Gotcha. And then, so yeah. So everything is prepackaged in Illinois. So in Oregon, for example, I call it dairy style. Uh, we actually weigh everything right in front of the customer and oh, nice. we package everything right there in front of the customer. I think that's such and a we, better use. Uh, I think that's a better experience for the customer. Yeah, it is yeah. a better experience for the customer, uh, but it definitely, you know, is a process, you know, especially in a highly uh, like, you know, the market right there, you guys are getting about 3,000 to 1,000 people per day. Yeah. Um, here in Oregon, we're getting an average of about 300 people per day. So there's a huge difference. Yeah, maybe one day after another four or five years in Illinois, we might have that availability with bulk flower sales. There's Boom. no such thing as bulk flower sales in Illinois. It's all prepackaged. And then uh, so that would be great, though, because then you could have some branding. Do you have like elevate uh, pre-rolls, a little little stamp on the, uh, the currently we don't. You know, I, we just recently did their whole revamp and our goal is to do that. So our goal is to really start selling, uh, you know, pre-rolls, uh, 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 wax, uh, chatter, different concentrate cartridges and different things like that. So we're coming out. Uh, it's called Elevate Farms. Uh, we just did the partnership in mass and. We're looking to roll it out in uh, Oregon pretty soon. It's fantastic, man. So yeah, you're also part of the uh, what minority the business cannabis or what what what's the uh, the the association you're part of? Uh, M for MM. Is that what you're regarding to? Or, or I thought there was a Black Caucus you're part of or something. Oh uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, Black Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, 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 yeah. For cannabis. Um, yeah, so you know, we help them with just their their cannabis education side of things, and 
um, you know, just uh, as an advisory role mm-hmm. on just what cannabis can do and how it can help the community, especially the Black Chamber of Commerce are looking at how they can penetrate the cannabis industry. And, you know, as you know, for me, it's like to see more minorities get in. Uh, that's my passion. So I'm, I'm on the advisory board just to kind of educate and uh, aspire uh, more people looking to get into it. Man, you're doing great work though, man. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. We also did a program in uh, called Elevate Our Community mm-hmm. in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, when the bill went legal, like I said to you guys, it was about 850 pages. And I understand yeah. that not everybody's going to go in and read 850 pages. We also have the opportunity, uh, other than Tom, if you're Tom. <laughs> and you know, let's you, be honest, I only read the first 300 because the second 300 were amendments to other statutes. So I had to read a few of those amendments, but a lot of them were criminal related. And I don't know, I know nothing of criminal law. But then I did have to do the other 200 pages of the uh, the emergency rules and then all the QAs that came out. So, yeah, you have to stay on top of it and read it. But, you know, it's um, it's necessary. It's highly regulated. I agree. I agree. It is. So we we uh, we thought that, you know, we saw a huge opportunity to kind of, you know, go out to the uh, Inglewood, for example, you know, South Side, Chicago, West Side, uh, go to Hyde Park and and really educate our people because nobody was going to go through that 850 pages. So what we did was we uh, simplified and created like a 30 page PowerPoint presentation where we uh, shared the the date that applications were uh, due. We shared uh, what licenses were available. We shared what social equity looked like and who qualified for social equity. So just really key components of the application process. We shared it with uh, you know social equity applicants that qualified. I remember going to Inglewood and we were passing out flyers. I ain't gonna lie, like at one point I was scared. <laughs> and I was like, I wanna go. Not the best. Yeah, Not the best. Uh, it was it wasn't, but you know, but it was it was like I was so passionate uh, to really get people that truly deserve the opportunity, at least in the opportunity to be educated and know that they have the opportunity because a lot of times I think it's just lack of knowledge or knowing this was actually possible and actually seeing people do it and, and being motivated to be like, if you could do it, I could do it too. No, I think and, Chicago's going to, um, cannabis is going to be a lot of healing for Chicago area. You know, uh, uh, when I was in the Navy, I had a friend who was a uh, third generation vice Lord. So, I mean, I know the crime and the, the is inherently part of that culture that backbone so when you have this uh business come out of the limelight it's going to show a lot of minority use like holy shit this is not the drug that we're taught you know opposed to like coke or whatever this is safer and you know it's an opportunity for us i think you know to, to plant a seed and get better with it oh they froze i didn't freeze did you? Did you again. well maybe yeah. this time you actually did freeze but anyway, I, I do want to thank for uh, saying for coming on again. Yeah, I appreciate him. I bet if I do this, it'll fix it. Wait. Oh, no, nope. he left. Man nope. down. Nope. Man down. I uh, maybe he'll come back on, but you know we've gone on for an hour and ten minutes, and I thought he, you know, just thanks for his time coming on because this is a, it's a sweet brand, and it was a lot of inf- interesting informational content. I think for our viewers, you know. Yeah, no, and I, and I and I think like you know from his from like you said he was he came from nothing, and now he's boy coastal with two stores and expanding, right. which is amazing. 
Yeah, hopefully he'll get one of the ones in Illinois, but that one it may be a crapshoot just because of how many there are. However, I still think that that's really a play for ancillary businesses, that that education concept of it. So if we were able to put together high quality online courses where you could get certifications of here's your you know, books for managing your dispensary. Here's how you do managing your, your craft grow. Here's how you do all those things. Here's how you stay compliant with what the state needs. Those types of things, they're already kind of out there now, but um, yeah, there'll be more of them. Anyway, should be the coming up in your guys' college courses though, right? Probably. Uh, there's also going to be college courses. There's going to be a lot of education in the future. Right now, I'm going to go talk about one of them uh, real quick, uh, about the Kentucky one. Cause one of the Kentucky licenses looks like it's really going to be about the education. Sweet. Nice. All right, guys. I just wanted to thank you all for coming on one of our Sunday shows. What do we call the Sunday show? The, uh, congregation. congregation. Uh, uh, what is it? What, is, what do they say at the end of church? You know, go with God or something like that. Amen. 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 <laughs>